76 trombones led the big parade With 110 cornets close at hand They were followed by rows and rows of the finest virtuosos The cream of every famous band 76 trombones caught the morning sun With 110 cornets right behind There were more than a thousand trees Springing up like weeds There were horns of every shape and kind There were copper bottom timpani and horse platoons Thundering, thundering all along the way Double bell euphoniums and big bassoons Each bassoon having his big fat say There were 50 mounted cannon in the battery Thundering, thundering louder than before Clarinets of every size and trumpeters Would improvise a full octave higher than the score Welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, January 9th, 2022. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, Encore Monthly, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Hello. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael's a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of CastAlbumReviews.com. He's also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at FollowSpotPhoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Hello. Just for uh, some listeners' uh, benefit here, in the Patreon feed, our Patreon listeners got to hear Jan Simpson's All the Drama, where she uh, covered Anna and, the Tropi- uh, Anna and the Tropics by Nilo Cruz, the 2003 Pulitzer Prize uh, win- winner for drama. That'll be available to the public next week. Uh, also, other things that I wanted to mention and recommend, I don't know, I haven't spoken to Peter and Michael about this, but uh, the New York Times has a podcast called The Daily, which comes out Monday through Friday. And uh, on The Daily last week, I, th- I don't know if it was Thursday or Friday, but Stephen Pasquale was on The Daily doing a dramatic reading of the transcript from one of the interviews of the uh, uh, people from the January 6th uh, riots down in D.C. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did hear about that. And I was thinking that the transcript fit right in well with uh, next, next year's Lyceum plays. You know, don't you think with Dana H and uh, <laughs> is this a room? You know, uh, Stephen Pasquale could star reading that transcript. Uh, mm. It was uh, quite the thing on the daily. Uh, I'll have a link to the daily. The episode with Stephen Pasquale is on in the show notes if you want to listen to it. It's uh, it's quite good. I mean, Stephen mm. Pasquale is uh, quite great. Last week, uh, Matt, Jennifer, uh, and Jennifer McHugh took over uh, this week on Broadway and want to thank them to for uh, taking over our responsibilities on that. And um, that really covers it for our announcements this morning. We um, have a few reviews that we're going to do this morning, and then we're going to talk about the uh, spring preview. Uh, but first up in the news, uh, we had the news the other day that Sidney Poitier had passed away. So, uh, Peter, have you any thoughts? Well, I never saw him on stage, I'm sorry to say, because, of course, after he did Raisin in the Sun, um, he was Hollywood bound. And... Um, I I also missed Carry Me Back to Morningside Heights, which was a play in the 60s that he directed. Um, It didn't last very long. And um, I 
it's a play I'd like to see revived because it has essentially to do with reparations, which of course is very much in the news today. Um, but based on his screen appearance in Raisin in the Sun, he really was a force of nature and he was a star by then. Um, the, certainly uh, the defiant ones uh, certified that, but um, it's one of those people we lost and we understand why we lose them um, in the money, the fame, um, of course, but, uh, but at least we have Raisin in the Sun to indicate uh, what that was like. And as I've said before, that is one of the most significant plays of the 20th century because people who walked in the theater weren't so sure they wanted black people anywhere in their neighborhood. And when they came out, they weren't so sure that they felt that way anymore. So in Sydney Poitier, it was a very big part of that. And uh, for that, we'll all be grateful. And Michael, any thoughts? Uh, I've learned so much uh, this week in researching uh, people who died and uh, other things. And uh, Mr. Poitier's Broadway debut was in 1946 mm-hmm. as uh, in Liz Estrada. And then he was in a production of Anna Lucasta in 1947 and then uh, not back until Raisin in the Sun in 59. And boy, yeah, Peter, somebody should do Carry Me Back to Morningside Heights. Um, it was written by Robert Allen Arthur, who yeah. I think is probably most famous um, for uh, the movie All That Jazz, the uh, writer and uh, producer, I believe. And But get this, it says, uh, well, first of all, uh, the cast included Lou Gossett and Cicely Tyson. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, OK. It says uh, the plot involved a young Jewish man who insisted on becoming a slave to an African-American law student as a penance for the years of wrongs whites have done to blacks. It closed after seven performances. Yeah. Uh, I don't I think probably now it would run a lot more than that because <laughs> there would be so, so much interest in it. And with that cast, I mean, if, if we could ever recreate that cast. Uh, sure. But uh, boy, that that must have been something to see uh, yeah. back in uh, back in. Um, uh, oh, what's 67, the, 68. I think I think it was that season. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. It opened February 27, 68 and closed March 2nd, 68. Yeah, I thought it was in the, the Goldman Book of the season. That's yeah. very interesting to me. I didn't I had forgotten. I'd never realized that uh, Robin Allen Arthur wrote it because mm. he also wrote the musical Clomina, which, of course, uh, dealt with um, people in West Africa. So as right. a result, um, um, I'm not sure if he was black or if indeed uh, he just had. not No, no, he wasn't. And apparently he worked with Poitier um, uh, several times. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, like Phil Rose, of course, was a great uh, proponent of uh, and, and helper to uh, to many black artists. And so um, it, it's very possible Robert Allen Arthur was in the same ballpark. But um, but I didn't realize he was the playwright. But um, yeah, that's uh, is the Lincoln Center Library open? I, I don't know. Um, do you know? Is it Say open? again? The Lincoln Center Library? Yes, uh, I think they they had. um uh, somebody who goes there regularly told me they had a, a little hiatus last week because of staffing issues. I see. But generally speaking, they have been open. Maybe the plays there might be worth investigating anyway. Oh, yeah. In the film and television archive. Sure. Who knows? Sure. Uh, also, um, we had the passing of Betty White uh, last week. Uh, yes. And that uh, Matt and Jenna and Jennifer talked about it on last week's show. Do you guys have anything to add there about Betty? 
I never saw her. Um, and of course, most people think that she didn't do. I'm not I'm not so sure I should say most people, because the point is she did do a great deal of summer stock around the country, especially for John Kenley. But um, I guess those of us who are, who are around here don't think of her as somebody who really took to the stage. But apparently she did for a lot of uh, a lot of shows. You know, bells are ringing among them. Yeah. And apparently many people were surprised to know that she could sing at all. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, and, and and now they're discovering these clips where she sings very well. Uh-huh. <laughs> I guess it's just an example of someone. Uh, Mary Tyler Moore is another example. Someone who, you know, and that's interesting because they work together, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, two people who sing very well, but they just their careers took them in directions mm-hmm. where they just didn't really need to use that talent. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Talking about careers that took people in other directions. Did you hear about this? Uh, the woman who understudied in Wicked? Uh, she no. didn't study the uh, woman who left yes. Wicked uh, a number of years ago, came back. Mm-hmm. She she became a uh, chemist or uh, she's not was it chemistry i i forget off the top of my head but she went totally in a different way into science yeah. and yeah. she came back and took over alphaba and wicked for to cover for a few days well the much uh uh much <laughs> impacted broadway uh shows yeah. okay. with cancellations left and right and uh, up center so we've had uh a lot of uh broadway shows having to uh either uh, cancel performances or some shows have basically uh, uh, we talked about Mrs. Doubtfire going on hi- hiatus and other shows, uh, Thoughts of a Black Man deciding to close altogether. The uh, author from uh, the the playwright from Thoughts mm-hmm. of a Black Man actually took the stage uh, mm-hmm. in one of the mm-hmm. roles because they were short-staffed and, mm-hmm. uh, in, in COVID outages. So uh, uh, Broadway is trying to persevere through this uh, through this thing, but um, but we're going to talk about the upcoming spring season in uh, in a little while, and perhaps uh, give us uh, something to look forward to here. But first, let's uh, talk about some reviews. Michael, you saw Marilyn May in concert, so tell us about this. Oh yeah, I Marilyn did a, a New Year's Eve show and then a, a brief run after it at the Birdland Theater. That's the downstairs space at Birdland, and uh, you know, brilliant as always. Uh, she does this thing where she tends to um, kick mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, at various uh, uh, moments, uh, appropriate moments in her show. Usually, in it's today I, from Mame. I think that's the number she tends to do a lot of mm-hmm. kicking in and. Uh, and this time we were counting. She kicked seven times. So she's doing really well. <laughs> she's still kicking. <laughs> she's still kicking more than ever. And it was so wonderful to, to be there. Uh, she, she has managed to negotiate the, uh, the COVID crisis very well, you know, especially for a woman in her 90s. Sure. Uh, it's, it's kind of amazing. And I just always think it's a privilege to get to, get to see her. And she uh, she did not sing, by the way, on this occasion, uh, she did not sing 50 percent, uh, but mm. she has done that several times. And I uh, if the timing had been different, uh, she might have done it because just a few days later, mm. we lost uh, Marilyn Bergman, who co-wrote the lyrics to that song with her husband, Alan. And I I uh, Marilyn, that, that's um, you know, she she really did not work in the theater uh, very much because there again, uh, she was snapped up. Uh, she and her husband were snapped up at writing songs for 
films and standalone songs and and things of that sort and the money is money is so much better there right but she wrote in 1964 uh they wrote a show called something more Mm -hmm. uh which did you see that peter no no it played philadelphia not boston um some of the songs are very good um neva small um has done a few um on an album and uh, they sound pretty good to me uh, one song I think is called uh, I Feel Like New Year's Eve, which I think is really terrific. But um, yeah, it, 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 it didn't last long at all. And we didn't get an album, even though a label called ABC Paramount had signed up to do it. Uh, Ironically enough, Julie Stein was the director of mm-hmm. the show um, and Barbara Cook was in it. So it would have been nice to have another Barbara Cook album. But um, and um, am I right that Joan Copeland, who, who just died, um, was in it, too? I, I kind of think she was. Oh, boy, um, wouldn't that be a, a coincidence? <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm going to check that right now. But somehow I think that uh, she was. Um, and yep, there it is. Joan really? Copeland as yeah. Mar- Marquesa Valentina Crespi. <laughs> yeah, look at that. Wow. Isn't that something? Hmm, boy, those affinities, they really show up every now and then, don't they? So, anyway. Well, uh, that show didn't last long and neither did ballroom, uh, even though it's, I think now it, it's very well considered. Oh, it's uh, a terrific musical by musical theater historians. Um, so they, you know, they didn't have great success there, but they certainly had it elsewhere. And I, I was so happy. I, I, it took me a while to find it, but I, I, I just found a interview that I did with Marilyn and Allen in 2013, when they did a show at NJ pack, and um, there was something I had been dying to ask him, and I was a little trepidatious, but I, I, I dug it out. And here's what I said. I said, there's something I don't know if you've talked about before, and you may not want to. In the stage musical of the producers, there's a song called That Face, and it sounds very much mm-hmm. like the mm-hmm. song of the same title that sure. Alan wrote decades ago with Lou Spence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure you must be aware of it. And Alan said... Oh, yes. Marvin Hamler saw the producers on opening night and he called me and said, Sue. (laughs) Um, And then I said, well, what did you think when you first heard it? Marilyn said, I was shocked. I'm still shocked when I think about it. Melodically, the opening is very similar, not just the lyrics. Uh, Alan said, I wrote that for Marilyn as an engagement present. Oh, uh, yeah. And then she said, uh, we tried once to bring the subject up to Mel Brooks, but he danced around it. Uh-huh. What are you going to? She, she said, what are you going to do? It's Mel Brooks. Mm. And I guess it's the sincerest form of flattery. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> that, that was that was the extent of that. <laughs> mm. Oh, boy. Yes. So. um so that was uh, Marilyn May. Did you go uh, on the New Year's Eve uh, performance or a different different night? No, I went to her final performance, which was the second Sunday, the second. And then a few nights later, I was at Joe Allen and uh, Jim Caruso was there. Mm. And he said that Marilyn showed up at uh, Jim Caruso's cast party on Monday, the third and did a half hour. <laughs> so she just, you know, she's just going to keep kicking. It's just fabulous. <laughs> That's wonderful. All right. So, uh, Peter, you got over to the Seeing Place Theater to see uh, a production of Wit. So tell us about this. Well, you know, writers are often told, write what you know. And what we have here is a situation where the actress uh, playing the lead role in Wit is certainly 
telling us what she knows because Erin Kronikin, a terrific actress, I've followed her quite a bit in seeing place theater, especially when it was only two streets away from where I live, um, has suffered from uh, cancer. And of course, so does Vivian Baring, Dr. Vivian Baring in uh, this Pulitzer Prize winning play by Margaret Edson, who simply had, it seems, one play in her and had no ambition to write any other. I believe she was a kindergarten teacher and has gone back to doing that. I could be wrong about that, but I think that's what I heard. Anyway, um, Erin is um, terrific in the role, just amazing. And um, in a way, it's sad that She's so good in the sense that um, she brings a lot of her own experience into it. But that said, imagine having all the energy or even considering doing this play. Um, So many people who are in trouble this way want to escape. Um, And here she is meeting it head on, which shows how courageous she is. So um, but this is a very interesting play from another vantage point. Vivian Baring uh, is a college professor who is so tough with her students, relentless, doesn't give them a shadow of a break. (laughs) And now she's facing an illness that's relentless. that won't give her a shadow of a break. And that's what makes the play so interesting. Here she is realizing for the first time what it is to be, well, let's say cruel. Um, Relentless may be a euphemism ultimately, but all things considered, to watch her decline. And you may, as a result of watching this play, decide that if indeed you have uh, cancer, you might choose not to really fight it. It's going to win. And it's very sad to see this situation, especially in the scene with Bryn Asha Walker playing Susie Monaghan, the nurse, saying to her, "Um, we have to talk about whether or not you want a DNR, do not resuscitate. Uh, what will happen if your heart stops? Do you want us to continue to try to revive it? And that scene is so powerful because it's so simply stated. And what you have here is um, Bryn Asher Walker really being so sensitive as the nurse. And I don't know what your experiences have been uh, when you had to um, go to the hospital or anything like that, but I have always found that nurses are so wonderful and so knowledgeable uh, about what they're doing, as opposed to doctors who can often be perfunctory. I know this is a gross generalization, but nevertheless, I have noticed that nurses are so smart and so sensitive by and large that Bryn Asha Walker really gets that. Now, there are two other um, characters in well in the show. I, I should say performers in the show. There are plenty of characters, <clears throat> lots of doubling. But um, really, uh, the other people are so wonderful, too. Um, I really was very, very, very impressed with Janice Hall, especially, um, who uh, comes in at the end of the play and uh, reads to um, Vivian, who only has a few days, if not hours, left. And it's, again, Margaret Edson was smart here because, as it turned out, this character had bought a book for Mm -hmm. um, a grandchild and she reads her um, a child's book, a children's book. And the point is, we do come back ultimately to a strange sort of second childhood. When we're about to die. And that point is very well made, too. But watching Erin Kronikin at the beginning when um, she's asked the first time, doctor, 
And she says, yes, I am. Yes, I'm a doctor. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and um, she realizes that, um, well, she's told that's not what they mean. And after that, you know, she always goes in and right away says, bearing Kalikian, uh, meaning that's my name and that's my doctor. I mean, she gets right down to business and Erin gets all the nuances of this. She knows when to be tough. She knows when to be vulnerable. It's pretty astonishing. This is at the Paradise Theater, which is on East 4th Street. Uh, if you know where New York Theater Workshop is, it's right across the street. If you know where La Mama is, it's very nearby. Tickets are very reasonably priced. Uh, very small space. You'll be right on top of everybody. And just as you'll be on top of everybody, believe me, this cast, and under Bryn Asher Walker's direction, by the way, uh, is on top of everything, too. Hmm. All right. So that is, uh, as Peter mentioned, playing uh, at uh, Seeing Place Theater, and it's through January 16th, and they do have a live stream scheduled for Tuesday. Oh, do they? Oh, yeah? Tuesday, mm. January 11th. So if you're out of town, I, I'll, I'll include a link to that in the show notes that you can uh, buy tickets for the stream on the 11th only. Uh, and I think that that's the information there so uh check it out uh lots of uh lots of talk about this uh production of wit and how good it is so um here we are in the january of 2022 uh typically is uh a time of the year when we're starting to look forward to march and april with uh lots and lots of openings Peter and Michael, what are you looking forward to in in this uh, spring preview? Peter, why don't you get us started? All right, fine. Um, <clears throat> well, uh, I'm really looking forward to American Buffalo. Uh, it, it was so close to happening before um, the chaos hit. But um, the idea of seeing uh, Darren Chris, uh, Lawrence Fishburne, and Sam Rockwell together uh, is going to be very effective. I, I was lucky enough to see the original production way back in, uh, I guess, 77, somewhere around there. And um, it was really an amazing thing because that's when David Mamet was just starting out. And to see his um, start, stop, halting, interrupting dialogue, which is real life, um, is uh, the way people talk in real life, was startling. And um, I remember very vividly um, being amazed by the uh, play back then and i think the movie version uh with uh, dustin hoffman is very good too but in circle in the square which is such a tight space uh it's going to be pretty impressive um it's supposed to start previews on march 22nd and uh which apropos of nothing at all was the 60th anniversary of Barbara Streisand's Broadway debut. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I can get it for wholesale, a day that I don't forget. Anyway, um, so uh, in that tight space, and uh, of course, it's going to be amazing to see what the set is going to be like, because the original set, as Clive Barnes so wittily said, it was not so much designed as assembled, because it's a junk shop. And you've been in these junk shops where people uh, who own the junk shop long ago stopped caring about what uh, everything's in order. I mean, everything is everywhere because so few people come in to buy anything. You really don't even need to put everything in order. So um, expect a lot of chaos, uh, quite a bit of chaos in the set, uh, which um, here will be assembled by Scott Pask, who's one of our best. So that'll be uh, very good too. So um, 
as I say, we were just a, a, a hair's breadth away from seeing it last um, year. So I'm looking forward to it uh, very much now. And I'm very glad that um, the cast is uh, still with it. All right. Uh, Michael, what about you? What's coming up for you that you're looking forward to in 2022? Well, one thing I'm looking forward to just because I'm so intrigued by it uh, is The Little Prince, uh, which only recently did I even hear was happening. This, uh, I guess it's coming to us from France, and it's it's described as a stage adaptation of the 1942 book penned and illustrated by uh, Saint-Exupéry, featuring spectacle, dance, aerial acrobatics, and video mapping technology. Uh, So, and it's going to be in the Broadway theater, which is, um, uh, people have seemed to have trouble filling that theater with hits lately. Uh, Mm. So flops lately. (laughs) (laughs) They have no trouble filling it with hits. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Peter and Les Mis did very well there. You know, Saigon so, uh, played a few performances there. Yeah, right. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, no, but I meant in recent years. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. 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 It was yeah, where it gets. Uh, that was the problem. Anyway, go on. <laughs> yeah, funny. Remember, I think we've discussed how um, the St. James used to be considered like one of the jewels of sure. Broadway as for where you wanted to be, uh, you know, because of location, but also because it had the second balcony. And now mm-hmm. a second balcony seems to be oh, yeah. I mean, there's a liability, a liability in many yeah. cases. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly um, the word. But the Broadway, it's really just more a question of the sheer size of the place. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens with that. I, uh, uh, have, you, have either of you read any, any details on this production? No, no. But you're right. It just seems to come out of nowhere. I mean, because so many yeah. of these other shows we hear you know, are aborning, you know, so. Uh, uh, but wow. Um, yeah. No, not at all. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, we we waited so long for a closing notice on that West Side Story revival that was sitting in the Broadway mm. that I think that uh, that when when it opened up, it was a, an opportunity for a producer to step in there very quickly. And since it's come, it's sort of a transfer from France that uh, it's uh, pretty easy to do. Yes, I think you're right. And uh, who knows if they had anything <clears throat> at all lined up, you know, with a question mark for the Broadway. But I imagine that people would have thought that West Side Story would have run longer. Yeah, and, exactly. and, and you know, I mean, we'll never know because of the pandemic. Uh, but it did, you know, you know so uh, then it announced a closing that it wasn't going to attempt to come back. And suddenly we have this theater, this big theater to fill. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Little Prince is scheduled to be a limited run. It's uh, only going to play through August 14th, 2022. Mm. Uh, right now, that's what they're right saying. Now. Yeah. Right yeah. now. So, uh, but August 14th is an odd day to pick, almost like somebody else has got it for the fall, you know? Could be. Uh, Could be. Could could be. be. Who knows? Yeah. Um, And of course, uh, Mr. Saturday Night is a show I'm looking forward to as well. Um, It's nice that Billy Crystal is coming back to Broadway and literally in a musical as opposed to his own show. And um, Jason Robert Brown and Amanda Green, you know, uh, two bright talents. So uh, I'm I'm certainly looking forward to their score. And uh, And I like the movie. Don't forget Randy Graff. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's so funny you mentioned her. I was just thinking of her last night um, and uh, saying, wow, it'll be good to see her again. So uh, 
So yeah, John Rando, who's really shown himself to be a wonderful director, and um, certainly starting with Urinetown, who expected that to happen uh, mm-hmm. and turn out to be what it turned out to be. And um, so I'm looking forward to it. Uh, they're also very lucky to have Trip Phillips as their production stage manager. He's one of the best in the business. So uh so uh, hoping for the best here you know it, it did get a downtown run and a lot of people um i know who saw it uh, had both enthusiasm and reservations which is what usually happens with any new musical so um we'll see we'll see but uh, the needle lander is booked and um march 31st um <laughs> the opening date of oklahoma so we'll see if this one can run 2212 performances too <laughs> jason has had not had a uh, good luck over the needle lander so yeah that's uh, true yeah so i'm hoping that he can break that streak yeah indeed everybody um, knows i'm a huge fan of jason sure so. oh sure. i didn't realize it was the same theater yeah yeah as, as, yeah. as um honeymoon in vegas yeah yes. honeymoon in vegas yeah. um in the uh, on the website and in ibdb it uh only lists four people in the show it, it, it uh when it was up at williamstown theater festival was it a larger cast does anybody know i don't I don't. Hmm. I would imagine it was. Was it at Barrington Stage or, or Williamstown? I was at Williams. I thought it was at Williamstown, but I I'm could be sure. wrong. Let me I'm check sure. here. Yeah. Oh, I was just assuming that there is a, an ensemble and they're just maybe not uh, fully cast, cast yet. yet. Fully yeah. cast yet. Yeah. I want to see if there's going to be a song in my, my favorite moment uh, in the uh, movie, which is where he, his wife, and uh, is it a friend? I don't remember sitting on a couch and they're watching TV and the wife and the friend are just roaring with laughter at what they're seeing. And he's just watching. He's just assessing. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's all about, is this person as good as I, would I do it better? Why aren't I on that screen right now? If I were, everybody would be laughing much more than they are right now, all that kind of stuff. And I wonder if that'll be a song. Um, it could be a very uh, good song. So um, I'll, it's always fun whenever I um, know a property thinking where might the songs go. I mean, for example, when I saw the Legally Blonde movie, you know, the bend over snap, whatever that was, I said, yeah, obviously this is going to be a song. And of course, it turned out to be. So um, so anyway, um, Mr. Saturday Night, we'll see what happens. I wonder if they'll open on a Saturday night. <laughs> so it was uh, up at Barrington Stage Company. It was. Right. Okay. It was. Right. Yeah. Today's episode of This Week on Broadway is being sponsored by Today Ticks. I've gotten to see so many more shows than I normally would because of how quick and easy Today Ticks makes getting tickets. They have amazing prices for some of the best theater I've ever seen. Today Ticks is your one stop shop for theater tickets with the best value on tickets for Broadway and beyond. Just download the app or visit todayticks.com to find the show that you want to see. Getting tickets is easier than ever. With the Today Ticks app, you can just check out in 30 seconds and pick up your tickets with ease. We've spoken about how good Kimberly Akimbo is at the Atlantic Theater Company. Well, right now I'm going to show you how easy it is to get tickets. I'm opening the Today Ticks app and I search for Akimbo, and here it is. Oh no, it's sold out for the rest of the run, but Today Ticks has a lottery for $25 tickets. Just one touch, and I'm entered. Download the Today Ticks app and enter the lottery to see how easy it is for yourself. Book your tickets months in advance or even day of if you're feeling spontaneous. Today Ticks gives you access to exclusive pre sales, limited time offers, digital lottery programs to sold out shows as we just talked about, and day of discounted tickets. 
Today Ticks isn't just for Broadway and London's West End either. You can also find tickets for cities across the country and around the world, including Chicago, L.A., D.C., San Francisco, Sydney, and more. See the show that you've always wanted to see or discover something that you'll love just as much with Today Ticks. Go to todayticks.com slash broadwayradio and use the promo code BROADWAYRADIO to get $10 off your first Today Ticks purchase. That's promo code BROADWAYRADIO, one word, at todaytix.com slash broadwayradio for $10 off your first ticket purchase. That's todaytix.com slash broadwayradio. We'd like to thank Today Ticks for their ongoing support of Broadway Radio. Uh, Michael, what's next up for you that you're looking forward to? Well, this is so uh, <laughs> interesting. I, I'm, I was going through a, a playbill list of uh, upcoming and announced Broadway shows, and uh, they list, uh, I think, the first show here that was to be out of the gate on Broadway is Paradise Square, but they don't list the Music Man. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if that was just an oversight or if that was in another list, but uh, obviously the Music Man is uh, is supposed to open on February 10th, so hopefully they uh, there won't be any obstacles in in that path they've, they've had some already as you mm, know and mm. uh including that uh i think we discussed the uh the incredible night when was it how many five or six yeah, covers yeah. went on including yeah. the leading yeah. lady yeah. uh kathy voitko went on for sutton foster mm -hmm. so i think a great many people are looking forward to that and uh so well we we hope that'll happen uh paradise square which i just mentioned um supposed to start previews on february 22nd and open march 20th and there i have I, i'm very very curious about that because there are so many wonderful people involved in it uh jason hallen music nathan tyson and masi asari lyrics uh and uh the cast includes uh joaquina kalukongo chilina kennedy john dossett uh A.J. Shively uh, and Matt Bogart, who I haven't seen in a long time on stage. Mm, so yeah. it'd be nice to mm -hmm. see him. So there's all that good stuff um, involved in it. Uh, and oh, Bill T. Jones, choreographer. Uh, but then it's to, for me, it's got two red flags. The director, Moises Kaufman, and the producer is Garth Drabinsky or one of the mm. producers. Mm, yeah. So um, well, I'm really curious to see what happens with that. I think they just had a, a very slight delay. Yeah, they uh, rescheduled uh, a couple days. Yeah, mm -hmm. just a couple of so hopefully they uh they they'll be full s speed ahead for them and they won't have any other. Well, I can I can guess why uh Garth is a is a question mark insofar as producing goes, but what what's your what do oh, you I think just, about Moises? Yeah, I'm just I guess I should just say I'm not a fan and leave it at <laughs> Well, I I my concern about Moises Kaufman is that uh is that he um it's not the type of thing. It, it's does. not the type of thing. It's it's he doesn't usually do commercial type of works. He does mm -hmm. big. That's think, also big, true. Yes, big think pieces and, uh, you know the the te tectonic theater project is sure. is not sure. really the type of thing that you're gonna. It, it's not the thing that goes up against the Music Man. You yeah. know, <laughs> right. Uh, right? And Garth Drabinsky is such a big splashy producer. It's just it's a interesting. Uh, choice there, but we're you know, in a round hole. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, and they both can be beautiful. So <laughs> we'll see. Uh, uh, I'm excited about Plaza Suite. Are you guys excited about Plaza Suite? 
I'm, I'm interested certainly in seeing it. What I'm really interested in seeing is if it's going to be updated. That second play mentions people like Jill St. John. And mm-hmm. I mean, I just wonder if uh, those mm-hmm. names are going to be retained, if they're going to do it as a period piece. Uh, the first play is very serious. And um, it, it was a big shock back in 1968 to a lot of people, because up until then, you know, it was just Neil Simon's laugh machine that was uh, everybody went expecting to just um, laugh their sil- stomach silly. And that first play is a very serious play, a very good one, but very serious. And uh, so, um, but the third one's hilarious beyond belief. And the second <laughs> one's pretty good too. Um, originally there were four, um, but he, he changed one of them and it became that movie the out of towners mm-hmm. so um but uh, we're getting three and uh we'll see how um this married couple does um <laughs> um and um it'll, it'll be nice to see it uh, it's nice that they stayed with it they had an out of town mm-hmm. trial at the colonial in boston and uh once um the COVID hit the fan i i was very very sad that i didn't go up to uh, boston to see it be thinking, well, that's it. They're not going to do it, but it's very nice that they're committed to it and they will be doing it again. So, and it was so, so, so well sold, uh, pre-sold, yeah, uh, originally. And I'm, I'm, you know, I imagine that a lot of that is carried forward, but a lot of people obviously have had to um, change their plans, um, you know, more than once, probably. Sure. And well, so, a lot more yeah, would, I'm sure everyone is looking forward to a time when hopefully when all of this will not be mm. necessary anymore. Yeah. yeah. So uh, one of our listeners, Tony Janicki in the chat room saying that he saw Paradise Square yes, in Chicago. Oh, he did. Oh, he did. Wow. I rather liked it. I, as I recall, did he say that? Uh, Tony, what do you, uh, do you want to come on live here and, uh, and uh, say a few words about Paradise Square? The score was excellent. Probably the best new score I've heard this year. Really? The show itself was interesting. Mm. Uh, but it was it was so um, so many different threads. Um, I'm not sure it's going to be successful that way unless he he's got to he's got to get it down to one one main story. But boy, the performances oh were outstanding. No, I I really liked it, and I I said a lot about it on all that chat and recommended it. Even if they don't improve it, I would I would recommend people going to see it. Um, it's, I I really liked it. Oh, good. It's, it's flawed. I mean, it's very flawed. Right well, out, out of town, and maybe they'll work on it still right. some more. Right. So, okay, great, Tony. Thanks for uh, letting us, sure. giving us some insight there. So, uh, Michael, what's next on your list? Well, uh, several things. How I Learned to Drive. Uh, oh, yeah. Would really like to see that with those two again, uh, which I, I, I did see them originally, Mary Louise Parker and David Morris, and I'll never forget that show and so much has happened since then in terms of their careers uh and that's going to be really really something to look forward to opens um on april 19th previous start march 29th at the freedman uh Um, let me also say that um there's an interesting strange metaphor here with their doing it again Mm -hmm. it sort of indicates that uh this problem doesn't go away as time goes on oh yeah Uh, yeah so there's uh you know what's what's amazing about that play is this is not a bad man. This is a man to which something bad has happened in his brain, but basically he's not a bad guy. He wants to marry her. I mean, he's very sincere, um, though he does do bad things. And so rather than 
paint him as a um, snarling um, mustachio villain. Paula Vogel was very smart to make him a decent person in so many ways, but with this tremendous flaw. One of our other listeners, Julia Green, is uh, mentioning in the uh, chat room that she also saw Paradise Square, but she saw it at Berkeley Rep, and uh, that uh, it needs some editing, but the dancing is amazing. So, oh, good. Uh, good. Good to hear. Yeah. So, uh, Peter, oh, what's next? Yeah, Michael? Um, oh, just also, uh, I'm sure we'll get to it anyway, but the skin of our teeth. That's exactly what I was uh, going to say. Yeah. I really am very curious to see how that play goes over, uh, in, you know, in... in the current time mm-hmm. uh, because I've always loved that play. And so I think I. it's not maybe ha- not fully appreciated. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm sure they're going to do um, complete, uh, completely diverse casting, which I also think it's one of the best possible plays. That's to a good do. point, Michael. Yeah. I yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with that. Because it's it's I mean, it's so interesting uh, that that Thornton Wilder wrote Our Town. And I always think that the brilliance of Our Town is that it achieves universality through specificity. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, some people might disagree with me, but I do think it's important that um, all of those people come across as, you know, New Englanders with Mm -hmm. the accent Mm -hmm. living at that particular time, Mm -hmm. uh, because it's uh, that's so also specific, but it's about how the things that happen to them are so universal, mm-hmm. marriage and death, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but the skin of our teeth is a completely different kind of allegorical play uh, centered uh, theoretically around the Antrobus family of Excelsior, New Jersey, uh, uh, as they as they persevere through an ice age, a biblical flood and war. So I think uh, but, you know, so they're th- theoretically from New Jersey, but they could be from anywhere. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, there's no question. This is a universal family. And um, <clears throat> and it, <clears throat> I, I do recall um, even thinking during this pandemic, boy, somebody should do skin of our teeth. And who better than Lincoln Center to do it? It's the perfect, perfect place to do it because it's a non-commercial uh, production. Um, famously, uh, when this play was originally produced, and I think it was at that um, Needle Amphitheater when it was, um, it might, I don't even think it was the Billy Rose then, I think it was the National, and I may be all wrong about that. But anyway, the thing is that uh, it was a three-act play then, done with two intermissions, and cab drivers used to show up at um, 9.10 after the first <laughs> intermission because they knew a lot of people would be walking out because it is wild and crazy, and it, it, it doesn't make it easy to understand. By the way, one of the best performances I've ever seen in Sabina was Susan Hilferty, now um, a Tony-winning uh, costume designer for Wicked and has done about 50 other shows as well, and that might be a conservative estimate, 50. But anyway, at Arlington High School, in 1970, she was brilliant as Sabina, just brilliant uh, beyond belief. And um, so she she would have had quite a career as an actress had she uh, cared to pursue that. But uh, we're not sorry that she went into costume design either. But um, yeah, Wild and Willie play that doesn't make total sense if you want to look at it in very realistic terms. That was never his intention. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Allegory is so don't go in there expecting to see things that make sense on a certain level. They don't. However, when you start thinking about it, they do make sense. And as I always like to joke, our town, New Hampshire, skin of our teeth, New Jersey, the matchmaker, New York, 
Where's Thornton Wilder's New Mexico play? That's what I want to know. <laughs> you called it a you called it a wild and woolly play. Isn't there a woolly mammoth? in There it? sure is. There sure <laughs> is. I still remember Trinity Square. It was called Trinity Square. Then it's now just Trinity in Providence. I still remember an actress named Marguerite Leonard when the woolly mammoth came to the door uh, because they're cold. It's, it's freezing out there, you know, literally an ice age type thing. And she goes, shoo, shoo. You know, I mean, it was just so funny. You know, the way you say to a, to a little dog or a cat that you want to get out of the way you know shoo shoo and here's this big enormous you know mammoth you know a mammoth mammoth you know uh so uh yeah it takes a it takes a lot of guts to uh do this play and um certainly andre bishop and his crew over there are pretty gutsy well another reason why i'm so glad that lincoln center is doing it is uh you know the physical production is going to be incredible you bet i mean i just uh, i really was i had huge problems with flying over sunset but it was just gorgeous sure the production uh, and sure. when you think of the possibilities for skin of our teeth and also the size of the stage, you know, yeah. th this, this is an opportunity to really use the depths and height of that, that huge right. stage. Yep. Yep. Uh, so I, I, I'm really, really, really looking forward to that one. That's talking about Willie Mammoth, the Willie Mammoth theater uh, transfer, a strange loop coming into uh, coming into Broadway, this swing. Um you know, it it's uh, it it it's going to be quite the season if everything goes according yeah, to sure, schedule. Sure. You know, uh, right. did you see the original uh, Strange Loop, Peter and Michael? Um, I actually even saw a workshop where it was very clear that Michael R. Jackson was quite a talent. No question about it. I'm sorry to say that um, I don't respond to this piece as much as everybody else does, because I feel bad for the main character who, um, you know, if you think that people in the boys in the band are self-loathing, whoa, uh, this guy really is uh, far more in that direction. And I feel bad about that um, because it really does reinforce the uh, famous stereotypes of um, that gay men um, have to be um, buff and all this kind of business. And um, so uh, I feel bad because um, I, I know Michael R. Jackson a tiny bit. We've, we've been in a few situations together and, um, and he's such a nice guy. And I just, hope that um this is a way that he's exercised all this that he might feel about himself um he doesn't need to and um because the, he does do quality work all right so um what's next up here peter michael what else what are the things you're looking forward to well uh, go ahead michael i'm sorry um well one question mark uh i i guess is still a question mark a big question mark for this season is sing street yeah. Um, didn't they sort of announce that it mm, will be coming back, but with no dates at all? Yeah, uh, I, don't, so, I don't think it's coming. I, I don't see any real estate available for it at this point. Well, but of well, course, that could change. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> change at a moment's notice. You know, six um, shows could have closed in the time we've been talking, for all we know. You right. Know, so. I loved it. I loved it off Broadway. I hope it comes to Broadway. Um, of course, here I am mentioning Barbara Streisand, and that, of course, brings up a, a musical <laughs> from 1964 that's going to get revived here uh, that is well associated with her name. So uh, Beanie Feldstein, who um, became very well known for playing uh, Minnie Faye in Hello, Dolly, the uh, Bette Midler revival, will uh, take on this role. And she says she's been raring to do it since she was a kid, that she was... Uh, at home in her uh, bedroom, you know, playing the cast album and singing along with it and then singing without it. And uh, so 
You know, a lot of people have problems with the book of Funny Girl. And, you know, I think that the premise is very, very solid. What is what was it like for Fanny Bryce when her husband was going to be released from jail and she was going to see him for the first time? I think that's a very, very potent situation. And uh, yeah, I, uh, and, and that's course- so well, so well done in the movie. I'll never forget the first time I saw that movie, not knowing Funny Girl beforehand. Oh, is that right? I- I yeah. think that scene is heartbreaking. Sure. I mean, yeah, and, but it's, it's a very, very good setup. And um, I, I can really understand that it must have been hell for those two people. Um, and I think that scene is very well written. So, of course, there have been tweaks. And, um, and I, I don't know if we're going to see what London saw. Um, I, the song, A Temporary Arrangement, which, by the way, Funny Girl opened in Boston on January 11th, 1964. I was there on January 16th, 1964, and that song was already gone. So uh, it was in the playbill, but it was gone. So, um, but it came back. And it may have been the same type of motivation that Penny in My Pocket uh, had in, in the Dolly revival because they want to give the character something to do. And Sidney Chaplin in the original didn't have all that much to do when he lost that song and he lost a song called Sleep Now Baby Bunting. Um, so little by little, his part got chipped away. And a lot of that had to do with Jerome Robbins saying, no, you, it's her show. Give it to her. And uh, but we may see a more balanced show if indeed that's what happens. But mm. uh, but it's Julie Stein's second greatest score. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, we were just talking about real estate and uh, and what's happening with Sing Street, but uh, you know the the rumor mill keeps on going around about Kimberly Akimbo transferring from Atlantic Theater Company to Broadway. Yeah, uh, I'd like to see that happen. Yeah, we have to uh, again. It's it's a little bit of real estate crunch, but as Peter mentioned, uh, things yeah. are very fluid these days. Sure, sure. Oh, another big thing we have not mentioned is Macbeth. Yeah, Macbeth yeah. with Daniel Craig and Ruth Negga. But uh, for me, the red flag there is the director is Sam Gold. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see who you know has had great successes and been praised for many things, and then there's the other stuff. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I think he tends to do better with new um, new plays, and that certainly doesn't apply here. But that's a generalization. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. And regardless, it's Daniel Craig and Ruth Negga. So I think, and it could be a totally new take on Macbeth. Who knows if any of the sure, uh, any sure. of the text will survive? Yeah, indeed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't say that I was enthusiastic as enthusiastic about Ruth Negga's performance as Hamlet uh, at Saint Anne's Warehouse as everybody else. But uh, but as Lady Macbeth, that's a completely different animal, needless to say. And mm-hmm. she is pretty much of an animal, but that's another story. But, um, yeah, it's, all, it's always good to see Shakespeare represented on Broadway. And uh, it'll be nice to see this happen as well. Of course, we know it wouldn't have happened without the star power. Do we really 100% believe that Beetlejuice is coming back? I have my doubts. Well, yeah, I think it is. I, I think it's uh, well financed, and uh, the theater owners are behind it. So, I think it's going to happen. After the the initial announcement, it seems to me that I haven't heard much about it at all, and um, I don't. I haven't heard a word about casting, and supposedly um, they're going to open on April eighth. So, if they're opening. Um, I, I, 
wow, you know, um, I would expect that we would hear something by now. I don't know. Maybe they'll get so much of the original cast back with, of course, without um, Sophie and Caruso. Well, and I was just wondering, I mean, you know, one possible scenario is that Mrs. Doubtfire doesn't wind up reopening. But Mm. I wonder if even if that happened, if Rob McClure would go back to Beetlejuice. That would be something. What (laughs) I did hear, and again, my famous statement of I cannot say what I'm telling you is true. I can only (laughs) tell you what I hear as I understand it from what I was told. Rob McClure is actually being um, paid a retainer to not take any other jobs. Ah, that would make sense. Again, that may be utter bullshit, but nevertheless, that's what I hear. Hmm. So, uh, uh, Rob Johnston in our chat room, our listener, um, is also mentioned to us that the lifting of the Palace Theater is uh, is underway. Yeah. So, uh, well underway, <laughs> I yeah, assume. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it, you know. I don't know if I'd build an entire building above it and then lift it, but that's what they did. So <laughs> well, uh, supposedly it's being raised an inch an hour, mm. uh, I'm told. Um, so, which is really such a bizarre <laughs> wow. statistic. Um, yeah. But uh, who knows? Maybe we'll all be very grateful uh, when the time comes. Uh, and we'll, because it's not just the fact that they're lifting the theater; they are refurbishing it too. Uh, the palace did need a makeover. So uh, supposedly that's happening as well. Have you guys uh, been reading these uh, snarky comments online about the Winter Garden Theater and Music Man uh, with the bathroom situation there? Uh, No. They're having to extend intermissions because... you know, uh, Winter Garden has always had a problem when it, whenever a popular show is in there that oh. they, uh, not enough bathrooms. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, what, what abuses me uh, is um, when I went to see Mamma Mia. And the thing is that um, the first time I was in the Winter Garden was for the aforementioned Funny Girl. Um, after I started in Boston a year and a half later, I went to see it on Broadway. But the thing is, when I went to see <laughs> Mamma Mia, um, I didn't know where the men's room was because it had been so long since I had been in the theater. What with cats running that long. I mean, every other theater, I know exactly where I'm going, but I, I, I had forgotten because it had been so long. So, uh, so, uh, but anyway, um, you go downstairs to the men's room, just knock three times and whistle low and what have you. So, <laughs> and, uh, with the, one of the problems there is that you, you, you can't even run over to the Marriott Marquis and use the theater, yeah, use the bathroom yeah, at the Marquis yeah, anymore, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Broadway's bathroom. <laughs> so, uh, Peter, what's next on your going to see? I noticed nobody has talked about MJ the musical yet. Oh, that's true. And um, I know people have seen it and um, they have um, said that the guy who's playing Michael Jackson as an adult is amazing beyond belief, just sensational. They also mentioned that um, they set the show. uh, The show has been set in 1993, Mm -hmm. uh, well before any of the scandals um, took place. And uh, it's about a documentary being made about uh, one of his tours. And uh, in fact, that did happen. So, um, so I do think it was uh, pretty wise of, um, one of our best, yeah, one of our best playwrights to, uh, to go for that. You know, if you're taking this assignment, that's not going to be an easy one to do. 
Um, and I, 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 I would imagine you go to Lynn Nottage first when you're trying to do something of this nature, but I wouldn't be surprised if they went to somebody else who said, uh, no, thank you. I have no interesting, uh, no interest whatsoever, whatsoever in, um, dealing shocking. With they subject. didn't go to mammoth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the man who looks for scandal. Yeah. Uh, right. You know, who, so, uh, who's the, uh, who's the other playwright wrote fat pig. I can't think of his oh, name. Oh, yeah, yeah. Neil, Neil LeBute. Neil LeBute. Yeah. Yeah, Neil, yeah. Neil LeBute writing the Michael Jackson thing just yeah, to call really, us. Huh? Could you imagine? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because he, he did a play, I think it was called something, the title was something like In a Long Dark Room. It was something like that, uh, which actually dealt with um, pedophilia and took a very different look at it, believe me. Uh, I may, by the way, be, have the title totally wrong. It may be a different play of his, but he did write a play about um, the, and I'm putting this, word in quotation marks for a specific reason it may uh, get some of you to uh, get the play out of the library but um a victim of pedophilia and uh, that's the point of the play um i'll leave it at that mm-hmm. but um but nevertheless um mj supposedly has this dynamite performance and um the people i know who have seen it are ready to give him the tony right now so we shall see what we shall see but um but uh, you know that's that's up and running. You know, one can see that right now, just mm-hmm. as one can see the Music Man right now. And um, but in terms of shows that we don't have any ch- opportunity to see right now, um, Deborah Messing, who I really adore, yeah. mm-hmm. um, that terrific actress, is going to be doing uh, birthday candles. Sure. I I don't know anything much about this play. Um, Vivian Banesh is directing, and she was a terrific actress out of the Shakespeare Theater of New Jersey. Um, I saw her do so many Shakespearean roles and she was terrific. So now she's segued into direction. This won't be her first job doing that. I don't mean to imply that, but nevertheless, um, if she shows the skill as a director that she shows uh, as a performer, um, this is going to be very well staged. So, and um, certainly have her Deborah Messing um, and Andre Brow is in it too. Uh, so that's pretty good as well. Um, it's his Broadway debut, but uh, certainly he's been around for a long time and uh, has shown many, many superb performances. So uh, that's all I know. I don't know. I don't know what, the, um, what it's about, but um, I hope it celebrates many birthdays on Broadway. And we have a Take Me Out in the Minutes as well. Yeah. Yeah. I was just about to mention Take Me Out to see how that will go over um, now and if it seems dated at all or not. Mm. Uh, because of the subject matter, which is about a biracial uh, baseball player who comes out as gay and everything that winds up happening with that in terms of people's reaction, including uh, his fellow players, including uh, one of whom is a, what would you call him? (laughs) Uh, A horrible, bigoted redneck, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, I was Uh, trying to avoid that word, but um, that noun, but nevertheless, um, it it does, um, if we go to a cliche, yeah. But Michael, if I had been asked to say that sentence, I would have settled on that noun too, I have to admit, as much as I wouldn't want to say it, but that's exactly what we're talking about. And I, you know, Daniel Sanjata was so phenomenal in that part and playing this arrogant. Yeah. Because, you know, when you're, when you're a baseball player and you make all these millions, you know, you, you have power and, um, and he really showed it because he's a superstar. It's very smart that he's a superstar. And I'll tell you, when he got his theater world award, we gave him a theater world award and 
it's it doesn't seem to be his character at all uh he seems to be uh meek and mild in the best possible way a real gentleman yeah so i was really surprised to uh to see this guy who was really a terror on stage you know i mean he really um it's it's not he so um i don't know what's going to happen with this production but um uh i i am looking forward to seeing it again it really is a very skillful play now that's a very good um, th- that's a very good point. Uh, you know, one might have written that play with him as like this saint-like hero. Yeah. Uh, and that would have been the easier way to do it. Yes, it but would. it makes it a lot more interesting. I mean, I have issues, some issues with the play. I don't, uh, I-, I wish it had been written in a more realistic way, but that's just my own personal preference. I don't like the fact that that character's name is Lemming. I think that's a little much, uh-huh. uh, but, you know, so I have issues like that, but it certainly is interesting. And and that is one of the the things that makes it the most interesting, that it had been so easy to make him uh, entirely sympathetic and a hero, uh, but to make him this arrogant, you know, person uh <laughs> i was going to use another word there yes uh, I, so, was I. <laughs> so was i um uh just just makes it all the more uh complicated complex and and more interesting i think Hmm. Uh, Peter, I was going to say that uh, you mentioned the Theater World Awards and uh, Take Me Out. Half the cast is uh, making their Broadway debut. Wow. So uh, you ha- you'll have a lot of work cut out for you uh, with this. Uh, is uh, Beanie Feldstein making her Broadway debut or has she no, been in something before? No, she was in Dolly. She was Dolly, in Dolly. That's right. That, right yeah. That's right. So, yeah. uh, so uh, it's uh, stacking up to be quite the season uh, as of this moment. Yeah, as of this moment. Anything else either one of you want to add before we uh, wrap up? I don't think so. Uh, Let me see. Uh, Skeleton Crew, we didn't mention. uh, For Color Girls Who Have Considered Suicide When the Rainbow Is Enough, we didn't mention. uh, That was a nice production at the public, and that's what we're getting here. And the fact that it's being produced by Nell Nugent, you know it's going to be a quality production because she's one of our best producers. And we haven't talked at all about off-Broadway shows. Maybe we'll do that later in in uh, next week or a couple of weeks from now. But Public Theater is requiring a third vaccine to Mm, see a production. So uh-huh. uh, things to think about if you're going to schedule something down at the public, you want to make yeah. sure you have your third vaccine two weeks before your show yep. and you're able to show it to them. Uh, I can do it. Yeah. And, but I think we mentioned everything else. Beetlejuice Minutes, Take Me Out, Paradise. Yeah. That's just uh, about pretty thorough. Yeah. yeah. All right. So before we wrap up and get on to the musical moment and trivia, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayradio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to to us in Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to listen to us. You can listen to us in Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to your finer podcasts, you can find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. You can get a transcript to this and every episode of any uh, of our Broadway Radio shows by emailing transcripts at broadwayradio.com. Just let us know which episode name. We'll send you out the transcript. So, uh, Peter, why don't you tell us about trivia from two weeks ago? 
The first musical in which this actor appeared starred an actor who had a solo in a very famous Rodgers and Hammerstein musical. The second musical in which this actor appeared was produced a year later and starred someone who may well be more famous for being a certain celebrity's husband than an actor. However, the person we're looking for made his third and last appearance in a Tony-winning Best Musical that had been adapted from a book. That musical ran for thousands of performances and was even made into a film. The actor was not a member of the original cast of this hit, but a replacement. The actor has the same name as a very famous character who appears in a different Tony-winning Best Musical of many years later, one that had been adapted from a film and ran even longer than the first hit Best Musical in which this actor replaced. So what is his name and what is the character's name? What are the two flops and the two hits? Well, the 1964 musical Café Crown starred Theodore Bacall, who sang Edelweiss and The Sound of Music. The 1965 musical Draft the Cat starred Barbara Streisand's then-husband Elliot Gould. The musical in which our actor replaced was Man of La Mancha, which won a Tony, ran 2,328 performances, and was made into a film. More's the pity. The actor who appeared in all three was named Leo Bloom. Hmm. Need I tell you in what Tony winning musical that character appears? <laughs> now, Howard Sherman uh, on Facebook uh, was talking about trivia and um, told a very funny story about his family. And uh, so I said, oh, here's um, here's my trivia question from uh, Broadway radio. And he said, oh, that's much too complicated. Well, it wasn't too complicated for Paul <laughs> Witte, who was the first to get it, followed by Tony Janicki, <laughs> Isaac Blevins, Brigadoon, Steve Garvey and Mike Meany. So there, Mr. Sherman, some people can get it. This week's question. And for this one, I am insisting that if you don't get it on the first try, you may not make a second guess. Oh. Understand that, Tony Janicki, who usually <laughs> makes as many guesses as Spider-Man had previews. All right, here we go. <clears throat> what character in A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum is scheduled to play Medea later this week? Hmm. All right. If you have a single answer to this, that's it. <laughs> email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment? Well, we discussed The Music Man as obviously a show that we're all looking forward to, the revival of The Music Man. And I uh, thought we would start uh, our opening music was from the uh, original London cast of The Music Man featuring Van Johnson, uh, something of a rarity. Uh, so we have a little bit of Mr. Johnson doing 76 trombones uh, from that. And you can see uh, what you think of his performance of that song. And then for the ending, uh, I thought there we would feature a song from The Music Man, but not really. Uh, and there, therein lies a tale. There again, you know, I, I looked up this this uh, song to find out the details about the Beatles recording of it, which we're featuring, uh, and I found out so much more. Mm. Uh, Are you ready? Till there was you uh, is a show tune, but not really. Uh, written in 1950 by Meredith Wilson, mm -hmm. originally titled "Till I Met You." Mm -hmm. It was originally recorded October 25th, 1950 by Meredith Wilson and his orchestra and Eileen Wilson. The song was retitled and used in the musical play, The Music Man, 1957, uh, blah, 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 blah. Um, and uh, in 1959, American singer Anita Bryant 
mm-hmm. recorded the song as Till There Was You and released it as a single. Her version reached number 30 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart and number 14 on the Cashbox Top 100. The Beatles version of Till There Was You was recorded in 1963 and released on their second album with the Beatles uh, and Meet the Beatles. Uh, It was the only song from a Broadway show released by the band. Uh, The Beatles version is sung by Paul McCartney, who is accompanied by George Harrison and John Lennon on dueling acoustic classical guitars played in a Spanish style over a bolero bongo beat Hmm. played by Ringo Starr. The song was produced by George Martin. Um, The widow of Meredith Wilson, composer of The Music Man, has stated that her husband's estate eventually received more income from the royalties of the Beatles recording of Till There Was You than it originally received from the entire Broadway production. Uh, Paul McCartney was introduced to Peggy Lee's cover of the song through his older cover, his older cousin, Brett, Bette Robbins, who would occasionally babysit the two Uh McCartney brothers. Uh, McCartney said, this is incredible to me. McCartney said he had no idea until much later that it was from the music man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that's incredible. Uh, But it's uh, it's a lovely recording of a very incongruous choice, I I think, for the Beatles. But apparently it was uh, one reason it was chosen was. Uh, meant to show that their versatility, uh, that they could sing different types of things. Mm-hmm. And I've always been fascinated um, in this song that, uh, among among other things, w- the the line is, um, there were birds in the sky, but I never saw them winging. Mm-hmm. No, I never saw them at all till there was you. Mm-hmm. But I swear to God, uh, Paul, McCart- <laughs> Paul McCartney sings, but I never saw them winging. No, I never saw them at all. And I don't know. I mean, that's not a Britishism. They, if anything, they drop the R's, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I don't think it's a Liverpudlian <laughs> thing. So I wish, I wonder if anyone has ever asked him about that. And if I ever met him, that's probably the question I would ask him. And he would look at me like I was out of my mind. <laughs> But I do want to know that. Uh, So in the meantime, you can wonder about that if you choose to or not. But Uh uh, please enjoy the Beatles recording of Till There Was You. All right. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. There were birds in the sky But I never saw them winging No, I never saw them at all Till there was you Then there was music And wonderful roses They'd tell me In sweet, fragrant meadows Of dawn There was love all around But I never heard it singing No, I never heard it at all Till there was you There was music, 
fragrant meadows of dawn and you there was love all around but I never heard it singing no I never heard it at all till there was you you 